It was quite a day in the Golan Heights nearly 2,000 years ago. Bunch of growling stomachs. There's Philip on his calculator. There's Andrew working the crowd. Comes back with five loaves and two fishes. Says, this is going to work. This isn't going to work at all. Christ says, just make everybody sit down. I have a plan. And there he thanks God for the food. Apostles are peeking, going, what food? And all of a sudden, he begins reaching in that bag. More food coming out of the bag. And more and more and more and more and more. And finally, everybody's stuffed in the gills. And Christ sends out the apostles and said, go get the fragments. And they come back with 12 baskets. And a principle is given to us then and there. Here it is. God gives us back more. God gives us back more. Thank God for that. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Well, we're in a series in the uh, Gospel of John, so turn there, if you would, to the sixth chapter, John chapter 6. And the site is the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. Today, it's known as the Golan Heights. You're familiar with that expression. And there at that spot, nearly 2,000 years ago, there were thousands of growling stomachs. You had your stomach growl lately. We find that there were thousands of them, people who were hungry, And they'd been listening to the Lord Jesus Christ preach and teach all day. And now there's uh, no food for them to eat, and they're wondering what to do. And Jesus asked Philip, what do we do here with this crowd? And in verse number 7 of John chapter 6, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little And so that's human rationale, folks. We find Philip saying, well, we even could take 200 penny worth and buy some bread, but that wouldn't do the the trick, and they wouldn't even each get a little scrap from that. And of course, Philip was thinking the minimum requirement here. And and if that was impossible, how in the world are we going to give them a a full-blown meal here? So Philip was what we would call a statistical pessimist, and there are some of those like that. They, They look at the numbers, and they say they don't just add up. Well, that's where we pick it up in John chapter 6 and in verse number 8. It says, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the man sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Now notice they started out with five loaves and two fishes. They end up with 12 baskets full of food by the time this thing is done. I'd like to talk today about when God gives you back more. When God gives you back more. I think you can see where I'm heading with this. Let's pray before we begin. 
Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. We thank you for the folks who are here and others listening in the region and throughout the world. And Father, as we talk about this great truth today, how I pray that it would find lodging in our hearts and it would change us. Help us now to listen carefully and to get from you what you have for us. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever actually gotten more than you expected? I mean, you're expecting maybe this and you got this. Maybe, Dad, it's your birthday and you're thinking, well, I'll get a tie or some underwear and socks or something like that. And you end up getting a fishing rod and a hunting rifle and you go, whoa, this is great. Or, or maybe you take a kid and they're graduating from high school and they say, well, I'll probably get a new suit or new outfit or something. And they end up getting like an ATV quad and they go, wow, you know, and it's wonderful. When you actually get more than what you expected. Well, we find from last time that Philip was the calculator guy and he was the one with no faith. When Christ says, how are we going to feed this crowd? We find in verse number seven, he's doing the math. Philip answered, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. So here's Philip, and he's the guy who had uh, who would say, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. He's the guy who's always doing the figures and the facts. And he had already arrived at a figure of 200 penny worth of bread not being sufficient to fill this crowd. Now, how much is a penny worth? Remember from last time? It's a day's work. It's an average day, a laboring man's day of work. And so if you do the math, you find out that he's talking about maybe um, $40,000 worth of bread the average man would make in 200 work days. But the little wheels of Philip are turning and he's going, that's still not enough. That's not enough. So it's really pointless to discuss the money. Plus, there's not a bakery to be found anywhere out here in the wilderness. And so he says, this just isn't going to happen. And Philip's response is typical of us, isn't it? We find him being faithless. Where's the faith? Because Philip at this point had already seen Christ turn the water into wine. He'd already healed the lame man who had been that way for 38 years. And so he's seen enough miracles. And at this point, he should have been saying, you know, I wonder what the Lord's planning here. I wonder what the Lord's going to do here. Is God able? That's the question. God is able. And we're like Philip, we're guilty here of, of punching calculators and, and carrying the one in our mind and figuring this thing out like a cash register because we are predisposed to think on a horizontal plane. You know what I mean by that? Kind of terrestrial in our thinking instead of being vertical in our thinking and thinking on the celestial plane of, of what God can actually do here. And so the Lord asked Philip a question, how are we going to feed these folks? And and it kind of snaps him out of maybe thinking about himself. We're also prone to be that way. You know, in the Christian economy, it, it should be about others. What about others? And maybe Philip wasn't thinking about the crowd at this time. But we have a world in need. We have a crowd out there that really needs a blessing, if you will. And so when God makes us think, like we talked about last time, we won't be thinking about ourselves. Suddenly, Philip's attention shifts from himself to others. That's when God has your thinking, folks. Now, if you're thinking selfishly, God's not making you think. If you're thinking greedily, God's not making you think. If you're thinking about yourself and vanity and, and, and what about me? Th th those aren't thoughts from God. If it's a lustful thought, that's not from God. If you have fearful thoughts right now, those aren't from God. The Bible says fear hath torment. 
If you're thinking worldly right now, those thoughts aren't God. God gets us thinking about others or about him when he gets us to think. But the problem is we're so often not in tune with what God is trying to do at that moment. God at that moment wanted to feed a crowd and Philip wasn't thinking right. And we often don't think right. It's important that we stop, we reflect, we meditate, we consider what does God want? You know, the psalmist talked a lot about this, didn't he? I mean, thinking along the lines of God. How do we get in tune with God? That's what Jesus is trying to do with Philip here. Because there are a lot of Christians, me included, and we miss what God wants. Maybe God right now is telling you something in your lifestyle that needs to change. Or maybe it's a calling from God. Maybe it's full-time ministry. Maybe it's giving sacrificially. Maybe it's something God wants you to do. How do you figure that out? Philip was stumped here. Philip didn't know what to think. God's trying to make him think. And that brings us to today's passage here. We find Philip yet, and we find another apostle by the name of Andrew, and they're stumped. They're trying to come up with a solution to this thing. They have a problem. How are we going to feed these people? It's insurmountable. And let me just say, folks, sometimes you're going to come up against something. You're going to face something that is insurmountable, and you say, I'm inadequate. I, I feel weak here. Lord, I can't do this. I mean, just this last week, there was something I just couldn't do. And you say, God, I can't do this. Now, when you say that, you're not shrinking back. You're not saying, I don't want to do this. You're just saying, that hill is too high. I, I can't get over it on my own. Well, I know this. God never gives impossible commands. I mean, even the great commission of reaching the world with the gospel. God does not give to us impossible commands. But I do know this about God. After all of these decades, he wants us to do our part. And when we do... He will do his part. Now, our part would be the five loaves and the two fishes. That's us bringing something to the table. But our problem is we think in addition when God thinks in multiplication. And God is able to do so much more than we can imagine and give us even back so much more. And I want to show you that. But we start here first with what I call simple provision. Really simple provision. Notice in verse number 8 of John chapter 6. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? So while Philip is punching his calculator here, Andrew's working the crowd. He's, he's out there amongst the people. Maybe there's some food out here. Maybe the folks uh, have some food here. Whatever, we can scrounge around. You ever try and scrounge up something when there's nothing? I, I mean, maybe you're looking for a, a bolt or a nut or nails and you're scrounging around. That's what Andrew's doing. He's scrounging around the crowd there. And, and all he can, can come up with is five loaves and two fishes. And that sounds a little like whatever to us. I mean, we're used to our, 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 our square meals with a, a four course and all that kind of thing. But that was a pretty typical Mediterranean diet. And so they, they come up with five loaves and a couple of fish. And by the way, everything in the Greek here signifies they were not huge loaves. They were not huge fish. And even the word lad, it means a little boy. I mean, this is simple provision. These loaves were probably about four or five inches long. And I'm telling you, the fish were like sardines. These were small fish. 
And, and, and by the way, I would prefer any time a, 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 a Minnesota walleye than a Sea of Galilee fish. I've eaten some of those, and they're not that good. But here's, here's some fish, all right? And Jesus knows what's in the crowd. He's not surprised at what they come up with. I mean, he, <clears throat> he made the fish that were in the Sea of Galilee. And all they've got is a little boy with a little lunch, and somebody's mom uh, had enough foresight to pack the boy a little bit of lunch. And, and by the way, when the kid that day brought his lunch to that open-air meeting there on that hillside uh, and sat amongst the grass and listened to the Son of God I'm sure he had no idea that somehow he would make his way into the eternal Word of God. But this is a story, folks, that is told in all four Gospels. There's, there's something about this. I've often wondered if this boy is in heaven, I, you know, if he got saved and he went on and, and preached the Gospel. But, but I do know this. Andrew's out, he's working the crowd. Philip, he's scratching his head. And by the way, there's people like that on both sides of the fence. Maybe you're that guy, scratch your head more and try and uh, do the math. Or maybe you're that person who's out looking for an answer, trying to find a solution to this. There are folks who analyze something to death. Maybe you're one of those. That was Philip. He's just analyzing the problem. Well, maybe it's 250. No, maybe it's 275 penny worth. But then there's guys like Andrew and they say, well, let's put some some feet to this problem and, and see if we can find a solution here. And Andrew's out there and he comes back with the kids' lunch and he says, this is pathetic. This is pitiful. This, this is all I could come up with. And in verse number nine, he makes this statement. There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. Notice this part. But what are they among so many? What are they among so many? He looks at the crowd of thousands of growling stomachs and he says, what is this among so many people here? This is laughable. I mean, I look silly even bringing it up to you here. But let me just say again, God likes to use what is available. Whatever is available, little is much, when God is in it. And this principle is found in the Bible. God likes to work with something. Now, way back yonder in Genesis 1, we find God creating everything out of nothing. And it's the Hebrew word bara. In the beginning, God created, and, and he just stood on nothing. He reached back into nothing, and he brought forth everything from it. But at initially, God worked with nothing. But since that time, I've observed that God likes to work with something, something we have. We have a creator at work here in John chapter 6, and he's saying, what do you have out there in the crowd? We'll go with that. And you know, God could just poof stuff into existence. Jesus could have just poofed that food there, but he likes to work through human instrumentality. You know, I find back in Exodus that the uh, Jewish people are in Egyptian bondage and have been for centuries, and, and God wants to take them out of that bondage. But he doesn't just slay the army of Pharaoh and say, all right, come on out. He starts with one guy by the name of Moses and has to coax him along and do all these miracles and bring the Jewish people out. That's how God works. He likes to work with us. We find another time where the Israelite people were enslaved basically to the Midianites at the time of Gideon. And God has to coax this coward by the name of Gideon into battle and, and give him his plan and, and, and execute that plan because God likes to work with something. You know, when there was a big nine and a half foot tall 
giant by the name of Goliath mouthing off and saying, you know, you, you, you Israelites, you're, you're cowards and your gods are nothing. God could have zapped him with a lightning bolt on the spot, but he didn't. He gets a little guy by the name of David to work with. And, and now here's the apostles. And Christ said, I'll just work with you guys. I'll work with this stuff. And by the way, everyone I just mentioned was weak and meek and lowly. I mentioned Moses, most meek man alive at that time. God chose the meekest guy he could find to do this. Gideon, uh, he was a coward. He was a runt in the runt family of the runt tribe of the runt nation of that time in the world. And God picked about the lowest guy he could, he could find and, and said, you're a mighty man of valor. Really? Where? Who? When? And, and that's what God likes to use. David was, was just a, a runt, basically, at that time. And God used him. And now Christ is using fishermen and tax collectors, and, and he'll use anything. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 1. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Uh, don't sell yourself short. Don't discount yourself from doing something for God. You say, well, I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. I'm a, I'm a zero with the ring rubbed out. You know what? That's the kind of people God wants to use. Just make yourself available. That's how God works. We see, first of all, the simple provision. But secondly, we see a supernatural plan. Now, notice in verse number 10, Christ is going to go to it. He has a plan. And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Here's Philip pressing his calculator. Here's Andrew saying, all I found was a sack lunch here. And here's Christ just smiling and saying, okay, guys, go uh, organize everybody into groups of 50 and 100 and have them sit down and, and uh, we'll take care of this. You know, Christ had a plan all along, didn't he? They were clueless what was coming. But God always has a plan, you know, for your life right now. I'll guarantee you. God has a plan for you. I don't know who you are amongst hundreds here, but wherever you sit wondering, I'll guarantee you, God has a plan and a blueprint. And friend, my greatest desire, honestly, is that I be exactly on that blueprint where I ought to be at the time I ought to be there, doing what I ought to be doing. Whatever God's plan is, that ought to be your greatest desire. And, and may I just stop and say, God's plan might be different than yours. I mean, really different than yours. Isaiah 55 says his ways are higher than yours. And so to you, it might look like uncanny and strange and weird and, and uh, whatever it might be. It, it could even be contrary to what you're planning. But here's the apostles, all right? Christ has a plan, but they have a plan. And by the way, I said this is recorded in all four gospels. Do you know that the, the apostles had a plan, a solution of how to take care of this problem. You know what it was? Send them out of here. Send them home. Send them to the village. Get them out of here. That was, that was the plan of the apostles. We read in Matthew 14, they said, this is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. We might say vittles, all right? The apostles' plan is to send them to town. And, the, and so here they are telling Christ what to do. Send the multitude away. By the way, I thought about that this last week. Can you imagine telling God what to do? This is what you need to do. There are some Christians like that. Did you know that? 
Uh, they're Christians, they're saved, they're believers, but they like to basically be on the advisory committee of what people need to be doing. They're found in churches. Uh, they're like the board of directors who they want to give the plan out. And honestly, they have it totally backwards. Here's the apostles telling Jesus, this is what you need to do. And we, f- we find Christ totally ignoring their suggestion. And you know what he does instead? He puts them to work. And there's a lesson here, all right? He puts them to work. Waiting on tables, serving. Now, he doesn't rebuke them for their weak faith, but he, he, he doesn't listen to their plan at all. He says, fellas, get to work. That's, that's a good point to make at this point as well. When we want to give out the advice, God says, just, just serve, just get to work. Now, Christ does not exclude himself from the work here. In fact, that day, nobody worked harder than Christ. Can you picture him with that basket feeding Thousands of people here, the apostles are just kind of walking it to wherever it goes, but the Bible mentions 5,000 men. Have you ever noticed that? And so certainly there were women there, certainly there were children there. You could probably triple that number of the people that Christ is having to feed. Picture the city of Jamestown, all right, about 15,000 people all in one place, organized into sections, and Christ had aisles for them uh, to carry the food to them. There's only one problem. There's no food. There's no food in sight at all. I can just picture Christ standing there with this, this little sack lunch in front of him. You ever taken a sack lunch to work or a sack lunch uh, to school? For the first probably seven, eight years of my life, we always took a sack lunch to school. And it had a sandwich and chips and I don't know what else, an apple or something like that. Now, the other kids were eating hot lunch, but us nine kids, my dad was too cheap for that. So we always just brought a sack lunch. And finally, they did the math and they, you know, it was a quarter a lunch at that time. 25 cents to eat hot lunch. And so finally the day came, I'm sure mom said, dad, for like two bucks, we can just buy all the kids lunch every day. And, and so dad gave into that. But I've eaten a lot of sack lunches over the years. And here we find Christ. He's standing there with just a little sack lunch. Now, the Bible tells us here that there was much grass in that place. That's important because John was an eyewitness to the account. He remembers this as he's an old man writing his gospel. He recalls that there was a lot of grass at the time. And we know this was nigh unto the Passover, roughly around April. In fact, They've done the math, and they said that particular year, about 29 A.D., the Passover would have landed on April 16th. And so we find out that grass had not been scorched with the heat of summer yet. There was a lot of grass there. It was all green. And in verse number 11, it says, And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. Notice he's giving thanks first. So he's got his little sack lunch in front of him, and he says, let's pray. And everybody bows their head, and he begins to give thanks. Have you ever peeked when somebody was praying? Ah, just just be honest, you've kind of done that. I can picture the apostles going, this is absurd. This is asinine. This is crazy. We're thanking God for some food here with 15,000 people out there, and we're going to feed them with this? And so here's Christ praying and probably them peeking, 
And uh, we find in, in verse number 11, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise to the fishes, as much as they would. Somehow the food is multiplying. It's, it's going around here, and everybody's getting food. You know, there was a liberal seminary professor years ago that didn't believe this actually happened. In fact, he taught that what, what Jesus did that day is, is he positioned himself with his back toward a cave. And inside of that cave, yeah, you can about guess, there were, there were thousands of, of little fishes and thousands of loaves of bread. And so he's doing the hocus pocus thing, pulling them around. I, I tell you, some guys will go to lengths to, to believe some of the most absurd things. You know, where'd all the bread in the cave come from, really? The, the apostles been buying up every bakery in the area, and where'd all those fish come from? They've been fishing and catching thousands of fish. I mean, it's so dumb. But there are people like that. They just won't believe the Bible. Well, we find that Christ started with some simple provision. Secondly, he had a supernatural plan. Thirdly, let's talk about the superabundant proceeds. Now, in verse number 12, it says, When they were filled, <clears throat> he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remained, that nothing be lost. And so after everybody had eaten, he sends the apostles back out into the crowd. He says, gather up the, the leftovers. There's no sense in wasting. And I like that about God. There's no sense in wasting. We can give the, the food back to the boy, maybe his family, and the rest you guys can keep or whatever. Do you know our God is not into wasting? I read back in Proverbs, the slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. Have you ever read that verse before? I'm sure you have, most of you. It, it says the slothful man, he shoots something, he shoots a deer, and he just walks away from it. By the way, they did that by the thousands to the buffalo just west of us here in the old days, just for sport. And we find God saying, don't do that. It says the substance of a diligent man is precious. You know, if God provides for you, you ought to be grateful and uh, really take care of what God gives to you. You know, my dad was born in 1928. The stock market crashed less than a year later, and it plummeted this nation into the Great Depression. And my dad grew up, I mean, dirt poor. He, he said, we were so poor. He said, but we didn't know it. He said, because everybody else was poor. Everybody was in the Great Depression. So my dad grew up a, a depression baby, as it were. And uh, so he taught us some of the same things about, you don't waste food, you don't waste this, you don't throw stuff away. And to this day, I won't leave a restaurant with any food there. I'll take it home with me. And, oh, that's tacky. You know, we called it a doggy bag back in the day. Now it's a take-home box. It sounds a little better. But we just don't waste food in our home. And so we find there's a lot of food still out there in the crowd. Christ says, go gather it up. Go gather it up. Now notice in verse number 12, it says, when they were filled, when they were filled. You know, you have to understand a Middle East culture with a Western mind because we're filled all the time around here. I mean, we always eat and we're burping and that kind of thing. That was not common amongst these poor people here, these peasants I mean, for them to eat a meal and actually get filled, that was kind of unheard of in the Middle East at that time. But that's our God. That's our God. And then we read in verse number 12, these words, that nothing be lost. Look at those four words, that nothing 
be lost. That is our God. He doesn't want to see anything lost, including souls. You know, the mind of God is such that he wants everybody to be saved. Now, I know there's a theology out there that says he only elects certain people to go to heaven and he elects the rest to go to hell. No, that nothing be lost. That is God's mind. He doesn't want to see anything lost. Don't do God an injustice. My Bible says this, the Lord is not willing that any should perish or be lost, but that all should come to repentance. It's really your choice, friend. Whether you say yes or no to Christ, if he's drawing you, you better say yes. But it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now we read on finally in verse 13. And it says, Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. So he says, fellas, go out there and gather up the fragments. Now he had already done the miracle. And the apostles are standing there just ooing and on. But the lesson wasn't done yet. He wasn't done teaching them. He, he says, I want you to go out there and see how much food is still left over out there. And he's trying to get them to see how great God is. And so they come back with 12 baskets. Is that a coincidence? Or is there one for each apostle here? Why 12? Why not 13 or 10? But each apostle is carrying their own basket and let me just say, they would never forget how they felt gathering up that food in that basket and bringing it back in again. Old Peter would talk about this for years. John, right in this epistle or this gospel later on, had this in mind. The lesson was clear that it's not a matter of our capability, but it's God. It's God's. Can you imagine the thrill in the apostles' hearts as they're gathering up this one thing at a time and smiling and glowing and going, I don't believe what I just saw. Folks, this is miracle math, but this is God's way, if you will. Now, you might say, well, why did Jesus overshoot? I mean, didn't he know the crowd? Didn't he know the capacity of their stomachs? Didn't he know exactly how much food to make right down to the loaf or the fish? Have you ever cooked too much, Mom? I'm sure you have. Guys, have you ever eaten leftovers all week long? Spaghetti or whatever it might be. It's, it's coming out your nostrils and you go, man, did we ever overshoot this? Well, why did Christ make too much food here? He did it on purpose. I, he knew exactly here how much was being handed out and so on and so forth. But this is the lesson. This is the lesson. God gives us more back. We find he is an exceeding above God. You ever wonder if, if uh, the Lord gave back a whole basket to this kid to take home and, and he brought it into the house and mom and dad go, where in the world did you get that? Well, I gave my, uh, my five loaves and two fish up and man, I got all this back, a whole basket full of food here. That's God. You know, I find this illustrated throughout the Bible over and over again. There was a, uh, a, a, a gal back in, I think, 1 Kings 4, and she's a, a, a wife of a Bible college student. Her husband dies. And they're going to make slaves out of the two boys. And the prophet comes along. She said, what do I do? And he, he said, well, go gather up some oil and, and pour it into these vessels. And you know the story there. And she ends up with way more. It's like a magic pitcher with oil in it here that just keeps coming out. And it's the same thought as we're reading about here. You know, as I, uh, as I look around here today at, at so many faces and I look around at our facilities, 
I, I think of what God did um, over 36 and a half years ago with a $12 offering. That was our very first offering here at Fargo Baptist Church, 12 bucks. And uh, we went through a building program and another and another and another. You know, God multiplies a lot. And uh, you can call it compound interest or whatever you want to call it, but that's how God operates. You know that Rothschild, that, that banking baron, he said that um, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. And Einstein called it the greatest invention ever. But this is how it works. You take something and it just keeps compounding and multiplying. And that's exactly what God does. You know, if you've left anything behind for the cause of Christ, here's a verse for you in Matthew 19. Everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit eternal life. Now, we should never limit God, and we should never think small like the apostles do, because we have a superabundant God. And in Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. You know that Fargo Baptist Church did not get where it is today by us being statistical pessimists. We have never really counted the, the one and carried the one and added this in. and so It's been leaps of faith. In fact, a concern of mine, I'll just be honest with you, is that we could get too calculated. Too calculated. I don't want to administrate God out of the picture. I don't want to organize God out of the picture. I don't want to process God right out of the picture here. Because my Bible says... Without faith, it's impossible to please him. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. God help us. I believe things should be done decently and in order, and that has been our practice. But I, I wonder if, if Paul the Apostle was so consumed with red tape as he was the Great Commission, getting the gospel out. I want to see what God can do. I want to see what only God can do. Only God can do. How in the world... Did Jesus ever feed 15,000 people? Well, he would even tell us it's not him. In John 5, he said, I can of mine own self do nothing. You remember that from the previous chapter? And in that same chapter, he said, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do. For whatsoever, or whatsoever things he doeth, these also doeth the son likewise. I want to see what only God can do. What can God only do? Well, I find here that God can provide a table in the wilderness. We saw that last time. You know, this isn't a new thing. It actually is found throughout the Bible many times. Back in the Old Testament, Elisha, the prophet of God and his assistant, needed some food and they brought some food for him. And uh, he had probably 100 guys around him. He said, well, feed everybody with this. And his servant said, what, should I set this before 100 men? He said again, give the people that they may eat, for thus saith the Lord, they shall eat and shall leave thereof. And they did. They ate and they had food left over. Picture this kid with his five loaves and two fishes coming home with a basket full of food. And his parents going, where did you get that? And he says, well, I gave up what I had and God gave me more back than I'd given him. You know, back to that verse again. 
Christ says, everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall inherit a hundredfold and shall inherit eternal life. You know, there are some of us, and I don't know about you, I can't speak for you, but I know that I had my goals and I had my dreams and I had my aspirations before I got saved. And after I got saved, you know what? God had a different plan for me. I had to give all that up. But I have never regretted that. God has given me so much more, so much more than I gave him. There are some deluded folks out there, and they say, well, I I, I want this. I want to follow Christ. But it's just too much to give up. Kind of like the rich young ruler. You're asking too much. Well, ask the little boy how it turned out. Ask Job how it turned out. Job lost everything. And yet we read in Job 42, the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. I came across an illustration this last week. Here's a little Christian girl, all right? And she's got her little teddy bear. And here's Christ, and he's asking for the teddy bear. And she says, but I love it, God. And here's Jesus saying, just trust me and look what's behind his back. (laughs) What a picture of us. You're asking for this. And God's saying, I have so much, something so much better. You know, God never creates a vacuum. And he always replaces it with something better. And sometimes it might take the next life for us to really see it. But let me just also say, no, God doesn't always replace it with the exact thing. Like the boy, he got the exact stuff back, only more. You might lose your job and might not get a better job back. You might uh, lose your phone and have to settle on a cheaper one. Uh, You might lose your health. I'm not saying you're going to get better health back or even get your loved one back, obviously. But in other ways, God gives it back to you. If you're looking for them. And on this particular week, if you're counting your blessings, folks, you will see it. You will find them. God gives us back more. I find a king back in the Old Testament by Amaziah. He hired really some backslidden soldiers and he shouldn't have. And the prophet comes along and he rebukes them and he says, send them home. And the king goes, and we read this. Amaziah said to the man of God, but what shall we do for the hundred talents which I've given to the army of Israel? And the man of God answered, the Lord is able to give thee so much more than this. In other words, there are times, folks, like the king, count your losses and and, and cut your losses and write it off. God has something better for you, something better for you. You know, to have God alongside of you for the rest of your life is so much better than anything, any of the vice, the, the, the dingy bar rooms, the stuff this world has to offer. It's so much better. I love what the psalmist said. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. To to have God, to know God. Do you know God today? Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? Have you had a time in your life when you realized you couldn't work your way to heaven? That's a dead end. Your baptism wouldn't wash your sin away or make you a child of God. Your good works wouldn't punch your ticket to heaven. You realize you could not work your way to heaven. And it really finally made sense what Christ did on that cross for me. That blood that he shed, that sacrifice that he made for me. I'll place my faith, my trust in that 
only. Plus nothing, minus nothing. And in repentance, you change your mind about your sin. And in faith, you turn to Christ and call upon the Lord, and you are born again. The psalmist said, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. God has something so much better for you than anything this world can offer. And Jesus said this in John 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. More abundantly. That is so typical of God. Sadly, there are a lot of folks and they hang on to the hog pen of this world, like the prodigal son. I love this verse. I read it just yesterday and added it to the message, and I'll close with it. Zechariah 9, turn you, turn you to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto thee. First of all, I love that expression, prisoners of hope. That's me. Uh, call me what you want, but I, I'll die in hope. I have hope. I'm a prisoner of hope. And then he mentions, I will render double unto thee. That is the kind of God that we serve. It was quite a day in the Golan Heights nearly 2,000 years ago. A bunch of growling stomachs. There's Philip on his calculator. There's Andrew working the crowd. Comes back with five loaves and two fishes. Says, this is going to work. This isn't going to work at all. Christ says, just make everybody sit down. I have a plan. And there he thanks God for the food. Apostles are peeking, going, what food? And all of a sudden, he begins reaching in that bag. Boy, I just could I can only picture in my mind more food coming out of the bag and more and more and more and more and more. And finally, everybody's stuffed in the gills. And Christ sends out the apostles and said, go get the, the fragments. And they come back with 12 baskets. And a principle is given to us then and there. Here it is. God gives us back more. God gives us back more. Thank God for that. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.